This is Fundraising Radio, and today's a guest speaker we have Judd Asberg, co-founder of Kudos and a fellow at Harvard Berkman Client Center. And this episode will mainly talk about internet-based fundraising, or specifically consumer internet-based fundraising. So Judd, let's kick off by you giving us some background on yourself and on Kudos. Sure. Well, thank you so much for having me. Um, it's really excited to. I'm really excited to be talking to you. So yeah, my background is I'm an engineer by training. I ended up at YouTube um, after my degree in engineering, uh, working with creators and artists. So my parents were very confused about what I did with my engineering degree. Um, but I, I loved <laughs> YouTube. Um, I ended up working on a product. Uh, it was a compilations product at YouTube essentially enabling creators to stitch together videos from across the platform and add a layer of commentary to that content. Um, and after you know, building that, I left, I came to Harvard, just graduated with my MBA, and um, I'm an incoming fellow at Harvard Institute for Internet and Society, which is called the Berkman Klein Center. Yeah, and as you mentioned, I am also the co-founder of Kudos. So Kudos is um, trying to build a creative layer on internet content. And what we're currently focused on is building tools and incentives for curators online. Um, and yeah, that's, uh, that's a little bit about me. That's a really big description of the company. Can we go just a little bit more in depth into what it does? Because curators on the internet, what does that include? I personally can't really imagine who is a curator on the internet. Is it like someone who curates like, uh, online chats or what is that? Yeah, so actually I, I will, I'm gonna guess that you're a curator and most of your listeners are curators because most people who creatively express online are not creators. They're not necessarily creating content, but they're curating content. You know, you're, by reacting to something on, on, a, on a social platform, retweeting and adding a comment, building playlists on Spotify, all of that's essentially curating. Curating is just selecting content that already exists and adding, a, adding your commentary to it. So most of us are actually doing a lot of curating online already, but no platforms today are really built for curating or for curators. Um, and that's, not, that's something we're really interested in, in kind of doing. Um, so yeah. First of all, I'm offended. <laughs> I thought I'm creating content here. What are we not creating content right now at this moment? I think you are creating content, but you're also okay. curating your guests, aren't you? I'm both. I'm doing one. Okay, that sounds much yeah. better for me. <laughs> but the idea sounds really cool. And uh, let's talk about your fundraising process. So Crunchbase says you raised over $600,000. Can we go a little bit into that? How did you manage to do that? You know, being a recent, very recent graduate from a university, how did that those two things align? Yeah, sure. So happy to talk a little bit more about uh, kind of our early fundraise process. It's you know, it's our first raise, it's a pre-seed. Um, but I think at the end of the day, these whole you know, all these names, pre-seed, seed, all these sorts of things are labels that we attach just to make it easier to understand what stage of fundraising people are in. Um, so yeah, we raised um, essentially. Uh, around a month ago from various people that we are inspired by. That was sort of our criteria. Um, and we wanted kind of people that know the space, so we're in the consumer internet space, um, and are kind of bought in on our vision of the world. And so that was sort of the criteria that we 
we're focused on. We're really excited about the people involved. Um, you know, uh, the, the rounds led by two funds, so TQ Ventures, which is a fund. Um, oh, nice. Uh, which is a yeah, which is a fund that um, is led by um, Andrew Marks, Schuster, Tanger, and Scooter Braun, um, and another uh, fund called Banyan Ventures, led by led by a guy called Riaz Vellani, who's this awesome guy based out of LA. Yeah, and we have a number of interesting folks involved: Mark Pincus, Lucy Go from Back and and Back in Capital, um, Joel Flurry, who started uh, Visco, who is investing via Excel. Um, I'm probably forgetting some people. Yeah, Rough Graph Ventures, uh, which is General Catalyst Student Fund. Um, yeah, and, and a number of other really cool, interesting people. And um, yeah, happy to kind of dive into the process and other any, anything Let's else. Let's dive a little bit into the process. It's really uncommon for a startup to raise money to the, to raise their pre-seed round from venture capitals. Generally, it's done through angel investors. Why did you take the VC path? So the interesting thing is most of the institutional investors at this stage are essentially kind of angels, right? So they are, you know, it's either like a small fund or a fund that's led by individuals that um, tend to invest as angels as well. So, um, you know, if you think about CQ Ventures, for example, it's um, three individuals that invest together. Um, they do have LPs too. Um, but, you know, we were interested in the individuals that were going to be involved. And so that's sort of our, our focus. Um, like I said, in the beginning, kind of our criteria going into the process was we wanted people that we are inspired by involved. Mm -hmm. um, and that was kind of our big focus. So folks that have either, either built something in the past in the space or are deeply kind of invested and knowledgeable about this space that we're in. Right, right, right. So first question, you were the first time entrepreneur basically there. That was your first fundraising. How did you reach out to the investors? I imagine that your network was not like big enough to have multiple candidates that you can, you know, just actually like text and ask like, hey, man, I'm doing this company. You want to take a look? So how did you yeah. approach that process? Yeah, so um, a range of things. Um, I think Kind of the focus for me, like I said, was wanting to make sure that the people involved are um, kind of true to the cause. And so I, it was mainly referrals. So I would, you know, I might, I didn't have direct contact with a lot of investors, although I have spent some time in the VC world. Uh, what I did have was friends that were connected. And so I would mention that I was interested or like starting to think about fundraising and that my particular interest is people that are specifically interested in the space and are either kind of have been operators in the space or have invested in the space before. And they'd refer me to people to be like, oh, you should speak to this person and this person, I'll introduce you to this person. Um, and that's sort of how it went. So it was, you know, my first degree contacts weren't necessarily kind of um, investors in the space, but second degree was sort of how I was able to reach the folks that I did. Um, so that was kind of my main focus. I did cold email people as well. So my first check in, was Joel Flurry from Visco. Um, and he is someone that I personally have looked up to for a long time. He, you know, he's, uh, he started Visco a while ago and he's been very, very focused on Visco's mission. And it's all about creativity. And the anchor for us at Kudos is also creative expression. Um, and so, you know, I felt very, very drawn to uh, what he has been able to achieve. And so I called, emailed him, I told him what I thought about him and his business and uh, what I was working on. And 
you know, within the first call, 30 minutes, and he was he was interested in investing. Um, and I think you know many people say when you have that first person in, um, it really helps kind of accelerate the rest of the process, and that mm -hmm. was definitely the case with us as well. Um, from there, we were able to get the other kind of smaller checks, and um, our first lead, uh, Riaz, uh, was an introduction from one of the people that you know invested earlier. So um, he's an LP in one of the funds that was invested in us very early, and so that's sort of how we were able to get people involved. Mm -hmm. Understood. And the question I would like to ask you here is actually identifying that field that you want to find investors interested in. So a lot of my uh, listeners ask me kind of the same question, like when I reach out to investors, I need to target them somehow, right? And targeting them by keyword or something like that, sometimes it's tough. You have to target them by the industry. And how did you personally identify your industry? Yeah, so for me, the biggest thing was I wanted someone that has either built something in the space or invested in the space. So it's pretty easy to identify them, you know. Um, Joel has built Visco. It's a company that focuses on creative expression online. That is specifically what we are focused on. And I went and cold emailed him. And, um, you know, um, TQ Ventures is very invested in consumer, specifically invested in consumer internet. Um, and... You know, it was, again, just looking at their portfolio, there was like a very good crossover and match in terms of our thesis and theirs. And so um, it was a clear kind of, um, you know, option for us. Um, so I'd say like the biggest thing is like, look for the individual and what they've been able to kind of do in the past. And that's kind of probably going to be um, an indicator of what they're interested in moving forward or, you know, whether they'd be interested in your company or not. Um, so that, that was kind of my approach. I, I'm not really sure what you mean by keyword search or, um, you know, figuring out um, how to target them in that way. But um, I just look at their history and target them based on that. Right. Keyword search, I was referring to the recent guest of mine, the founder of Foundersuit. It's like a software for uh, finding investors. They do have a keyword search, which is kind of rare. So if someone's mm. lost in terms of like finding, identifying their, uh, you know, industry, because that happens pretty frequently, you could actually try that. That might work well for you. But let's move on to the topic that's trending right now as well, pandemic. What's your advice to founders trying to raise right now? What do you think? How would, I imagine, I, I think you close your round before the pandemic hit, right? No, we were we were fundraising in the midst of the pandemic. Oh, closed around a month ago. Uh, uh, first yeah. of all, congrats, and second of all, uh, how how did you manage to do that? Well, um, I think it really depends on what kind of space you're in, right? So the space we were operating in isn't one that's uh, necessarily being kind of um, hurt by the pandemic. Um, in many ways, consumer internet is something that's sort of, you know, has very positive tailwinds due to the pandemic. Um, so in a way we were lucky there, but um, I think at the end of the day, good investors are long-term investors. They're ones that believe in the company's kind of long-term success. Um, and the ones that, you know, we were talking to, you know, for the earlier part of the pandemic, they were trying to figure out, you know, um, make sure that their, their portfolio companies were doing okay and kind of readjust their thesis slightly, but then, you know, got back into the game and were sourcing and diligencing and, you know, investing. Um, so I think we've, we've kind of passed now the, 
kind of phase where investors are really confused about what's going on and they've sort of readjusted mm-hmm. in my in my opinion um there might be some that maybe have reduced the number of investments they make or sort of like spend more time diligencing companies um so that's kind of like the one big change the other obvious big change is no in-person meetings um so for us we raised i'm based in on the east coast and uh, pretty much all of our investors are on the west coast so um you know obviously all of our meetings are virtual over zoom or whatever else uh they you know google meets or whatever other platform um and that you know was not ideal. obviously it'd be nice to kind of connect with the with the investor in person but um you know i think we just made do with what uh what we had to you know had to work with and um we made it work nice that's great and have you actually never met those investors or have you met them previously in person never met them ever. that's so cool that's 2020 i would love to see you know where you don't have to travel to san francisco to raise money or where you have to go to new york to participate on some events just to meet some investors that's i think that's great we just have to adjust here a little bit but let's move on to talking about the investors and by the way i'm sorry for my background sound i know on Jad's side, it's like bird scene and all that. And my side, it's trills going off. <laughs> it's just the construction. Okay. Uh, anyways, um, what do you think investors are really looking for in this consumer internet space? So what are the major metrics that they're interested in? Is it uh, the retention rate? Is it the monthly growth of user base? Is it the uh, revenue that you're receiving? Or what is that? So it depends what stage you're in. I think at the end of, you know, I think at the outset, it's important to say that consumer internet is a very, very risky investment. It's a highly unpredictable investment category. If you look at the history of consumer internet companies, um, I think a higher rate than average fail. Um, and, you know, there's a really interesting uh, scholar, his name is Duncan Watts. And he, he writes about cultural markets. And what he means by cultural markets is, kind of music, art, film, um, and I think consumer internet sort of falls under that category where it's so based on consumer behavior and things that are completely out of your control, culture, um, you know, trends, things that are very unpredictable. And he speaks about how truly unpredictable they are. You really can't sort of like bet too hard on, um, the direction of whether you know this film is going to be successful or this song is going to be successful it's kind of this whole thing about you can't predict virality online um, and with consumer internet businesses it's kind of similar um, so it makes investing in them really difficult i think at the outset when you're investing very early so pre-seed seed um, metrics are important but they're not the defining kind of thing i think that the defining thing is two things one the team the team are the ones who are going to be able to execute on the idea. And I think with consumer internet businesses, it's really important to look for a team that is grounded in execution and iteration. Because at the end of the day, consumer internet businesses are completely you know, iterative. They evolve so, so fast. And so someone who's able to execute quick is really important. That's why I think it's important to have a strong technical component, a product component, um, on the founding team in the consumer internet business. Um, the other thing is the thesis or vision. So, you know, with consumer internet businesses, like I mentioned, they, you know, you change a lot. 
you're evolving all the time. But having sort of that North Star that you're working towards is incredibly important. And I think um, that vision or kind of thesis for the company is, is really, really uh, useful. So for us, like I kind of consider myself um, like a consumer internet um, geek or academic. I like studying <laughs> internet history and thinking about um, kind of from an academic perspective, the future of the consumer internet. That's partially why I'm involved with the Berkman Klein Center at Harvard, right about the topic. But um, so yeah, that's just to say that thesis and team are kind of the core. Everything else comes second at the earliest stage. Revenue, it's likely that there won't really be much revenue for a while with these companies. If you're thinking about social platforms, for example, um, or media sort of companies in the space. Um, although that might be changing. Um, and you know, when it comes to metrics, your earliest product might have directional kind of indicators of success. And that usually comes with retention. So user growth at the earliest stages, I would deprioritize. It's not about the number of users you have, it's about how much value they're deriving from your platform. It's the very classic leaky bucket um, that I'm sure many of your listeners are aware of. You don't wanna keep getting users and have them leave or not really, you know, find value in the product. And so yes, 100% at the earliest stages, retention is very important, but obviously you need a sample size that matches. Um, so yeah, I don't know if that answers your question. I'll pause there because I feel like I spoke for a while. <laughs> it's, good. it's good, it was a good answer. My next question was actually, what should founders in the internet consumer space focus on? And I think he just responded to that. It's focus on the retention rates, but maybe there are some other things that the founders should really focus on. Maybe it's, you know, find some decent advisors who are well known in this field or, uh, uh, I don't know, whatever that might be. So I think this field is very non-traditional. So if you're following traditional advice or starting a company or, you know, thinking about fundraising in this space, you kind of have to scrap the rule book in a way. Um, you know, for example, a lot of folks talk about making sure your product experience, your user experience doesn't have a lot of friction. With consumer internet businesses, actually friction can be a really good thing because you're isolating power users and you're keeping out the ones that, you know, don't really, aren't really going to be retained on the platform. So what I'm trying to say is with consumer internet businesses, it's really important to do, I think, you know, if I were to kind of filter it down to two core things, it's one, be really focused on the user, like super user centric. You know, you're building for your users, you're not building for yourself or what you want, um, which might be common sense, but I think it's really, really vitally important with consumer internet businesses. And the second thing is, you know, again, think a lot and reflect on your thesis, your vision, why you're doing what you're doing and how it's going to play out in the world. Because I think that's kind of the anchor, right? That's the, the thing that's going to drive the business forward through this multiple iterations that you will be going through. So if you don't really have a really clear idea of that, I'd spend a lot of time reflecting, have a manifesto, have really deep discussions with your co-founder, your team, your you know, friends, advisors, colleagues about what it is that you really are doing with the company. Um, so I'd say that that's kind of the, the core thing. And I think at the end of the day, like with consumer internet businesses, it's really about being patient and and just kind of being really persistent and consistent, persistent and consistent, because it's a really long game. 
absolutely persistency is probably the <clears throat> number one you know, identifying factor for me that the founder is good. So definitely good advice here. And let's move on and talk about the different side of the table, which is investing. Basically, you were a fellow at PRVC, right? So what were you doing there as a fellow? Yeah, so I was a fellow at Care. I also was a fellow at another fund called Unshackled VC. Um, and, you know, those were sort of fellowships that I did while I was at business school. So, um, you know, if there are students who are listening to the podcast now, um, there are a number of programs for you to get involved with venture funds uh, early in your career. Um, and they usually take the form of scout programs or venture, you know, fellow programs. Um, so I do your research there if that's something you're interested in exploring or getting involved in. Um, my, my experience with Payer and Unshackled was great. They, you know, kind of role consisted of, I'd say, three core elements. The first is sourcing. So like being kind of on the ground, ears to the ground, like what are the companies that are coming up on campus and around the area? I, um, I was in Boston, so a lot of, um, there's a lot of activity around kind of the Harvard MIT ecosystem. So just being in the know um, in that space was really important. The second big thing was helping with diligence. So there will be a number of opportunities for you to get involved in diligencing companies that are coming up um, in the pipeline. Um, and, you know, that can involve, you know, researching the space, researching the founders, figuring out whether this would be like, a, you know, a viable investment or not. And the final thing is, you know, just kind of supporting with investment theses. So, you know, there's a space you're really passionate about and like delve into it and map out companies in the space and where it's going and where you think we should, you know, companies should be, um, the funds should be investing. There's definitely an opportunity to do that with um, these fellowships. And that's something that I did um, with kind of the consumer internet space. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So you mentioned, <clears throat> sorry, you mentioned several times that, you know, uh, scouting and, you know, finding new deals uh, is a big part of that role. And how were you personally finding the deals? How were you personally you know, sourcing those deals, basically? Being present, that's the biggest thing. So um, for me, I was um, in very entrepreneurial ecosystem at Harvard. I led the entrepreneurship club at HBS. I sat on a kind of cross-school board that focused on like entrepreneurship student activities. And so I had a lot of exposure to entrepreneurial folks and folks that were, you know, either building companies or interested in investing in companies. And so being present in those spheres is incredibly important. Um, you know, at the early stages, I, had, I didn't really have a network at MIT. And so I literally went and was on campus physically. I'd work from there, oh, wow. talk to people there um, and, you know, would get involved in kind of initiatives there because I thought it would be useful to kind of, you know, meet people on that side of the river. Um, and um, that's sort of my biggest advice is if you don't really already have inbound, um, you know, like you don't have a deal flow, that's, um, is, is make one, like be present in those spheres and be focused as well. So like for me, um, the Harvard MIT ecosystem was what I was very focused on. And so I had exposure to the companies that were coming up in those ecosystems and so focusing on an ecosystem focus on the vertical um that you care about uh, or you have access to that's actually really cool and harvard and mit ecosystems i pre i'm pretty sure those are great ecosystems to be in but let's dive 
a little bit deeper into your experience with the, you know, diving into the MIT. You said you literally went in the campus, you worked there. How did you get there? I mean, you didn't just come to the MIT campus and sat down at the bench and started talking to strangers, right? So how, how do you approach that problem? So it's not far from it, to be honest. Oh, uh, no. so, uh, so MIT has um, a space that um, sort of where, where you, know, you, can, you know, you can go work if you're starting a company. Um, it's called the Martin Trust Center, um, and they have an open space. You can go, if you have a friend there, you could go work from there. And that's sort of where people are going to be if you're thinking of starting a company. And so you could literally go there and start talking to people. And I'm, I am nice. that guy that goes to cafes and talks to the person sitting next to me. And so I oh, wow. personally don't mind that. Um, if I see the person is like coding or like doing something interesting, I'll probably strike a conversation. Um, and so, yeah, that's it's weird, but it works. <laughs> that is a little bit weird, but it really does work. I mean, I have numerous stories of how people ran into their you know, future huge investors in bars, just literally drinking whiskey with them. So there are a number yeah. of fun uh, stories like that. So just being present is really good, great advice, I would say. So let's go back to your fundraising for Kudos. You managed to raise money during this pandemic. Uh, Congratulations yeah. on that. But many founders are still struggling with that. So what's your advice to them? How should they tackle that pro pro problem? Yeah, um, so I think every fundraiser is unique. And um, at the beginning, we did struggle. Like we had a really kind of um, difficult experience figuring out the angle that we wanted to approach it. And, um, you know, I think a lot of people talk about their fundraising success. And I think maybe one thing to mention for us is we started out trying to fundraise in Boston, which is where I'm based. Um, and the Boston ecosystem isn't one that's very kind of one, doesn't really have an appetite for risk, but two, isn't really focused mm -hmm. on the space that we're in. You know, it's a lot right. of biotech, it's a lot of more traditional types of um, kind of companies. And uh, we were kind of strange to a lot of the company, a lot of the funds here. Um, and so we had to, you know, re, consider and that's why we started thinking about more LA and kind of West Coast investors uh, and we found success there so I would you know there's always time to pivot you know like you're pivoting your kind of product or your business pivoting your fundra fundraising strategy is also really important um, I think another kind of thing that worked for us was uh, you know there's this whole question of saying you are fundraising versus not saying you are fundraising um, and a lot of people say like run a tight process and honestly running a tight process is, you know, is really good if you have your stuff, you know, really sorted. And if you don't running a tight process doesn't really work. And so kind of, I think getting to some level of confidence by having some conversations early, figuring out how confident are we in kind of our pitch where we're, what we're doing, the kind of traction that we have. Um, and sort of like once we get that confidence or maybe we're getting like into second meetings with some investors having, you know, positive, um, not positive language from them, but positive action. That's when we start thinking about, okay, now we're going to start a process and actually like run a tight ship and kind of just finish this. Um, and that's sort of what we learned um, is like, like you said, I'm a first time founder. And so that's something we had heard, but didn't really like experience and honestly it it's very true and so 
Yeah, I just say like get get confidence early, like test it, test the waters with a number of investors, try and refine your pitch, try and refine what you're doing. And that might be a month long process. Um, and then once you really feel like you're ready and you're getting traction with a couple of investors, action, like action, not just words, that's when you start thinking about, okay, now it's really time to say that I'm fundraising and to be like, okay, I'm going to finish, try and finish fundraising by this point And, you know, whatever happens, happens. Um, it's very scary, but I think it's important. And that's why like getting the confidence first is important. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. And my personal advice here in terms of gaining confidence would just understand your competitive landscape the best because if the investor asks you about like if the investor knows some company in this field and he or she asks you about it and you don't know you've never heard that name that's that's the problem that's the red flag so that's great advice and by the way pivoting the uh, fundraising process is really important nice move there jad uh so let's move on to the last question of today's episode which is a call to action what's that one thing that you would like the listener to do as soon as the episode is over um, so is this like an opportunity to plug? <laughs> is this like an opportunity? Yep, to like... that's that's. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> um, so I think you know, uh, I think one thing that you can do is we. So I personally write about um, kind of internet culture and the future of consumer internet. So if this is something you're interested in, and you want to kind of learn more, uh, we have a newsletter. So it's kudos k o o d o s dot substack dot com. Uh, subscribe, follow along, um, and yeah, feel free to kind of like comment, leave feedback, email back, happy to have a chat with anyone that's, uh, you know, interested in the space. Sounds good. I'll definitely leave a link to Kudos that newsletter and uh, to a bunch of other VCs, by the way, that you mentioned. So be sure to check in with the description of the episode. We'll wrap it up here. Thanks a lot, Jad, for coming up and for sharing your knowledge in the internet consumer space. I think that was a really insightful episode. So thanks a lot for that and have a great day. Thanks. You too. Take care, guys.